Some weeks, the, the weeks of messages uh, just kind of go by so quick that you feel like, man, I want to just land there for just a minute and, and think through uh, what we did like last week. And so for, oh, I like being there. Um, <laughs> last week, if, if you are back and you haven't been around for a while, last week we have been looking at Acts chapter 9 in a series that we've been in through about last October or so, and we'll probably be in it until, oh, I don't know, it's going to be a while. So I used to say a year and a half, and I think we're at least probably another year still left. But we're looking at the book of Acts in a series called The Church on Fire. And uh, it's a series that I like because it's something that I want to happen in my life. I want to become more and more like the first century Christians. And how do they have that radical trust in God, and when everything was on the line. You guys think you get things on the line now? And you do. I know. I talk with many of you. I pray through the cards. I know that you do have things on the line. But these guys were, you know, getting eaten by lions. These guys were, were being beaten and persecuted and all kinds of things for their faith. And so if you just kind of put your stuff in perspective, and, and I'm not trying to diminish your stuff, but if you put your stuff in perspective, you'll see that, that they really, really trusted God in the midst of hard hard circumstances. That's my desire for my own life, and I'll, be, I'll shoot honest, I'm praying that for this church, that this church would be set on fire. As I read the book of Acts, and you start seeing the numbers of people that were added and things that God was doing, the word that comes to my mind is, it is out of hand. And that's what I'm praying for this church. Uh, and, and, I, and, and I'm not an administrator, so if, if it grows and God does weird things, I don't know what's going to happen. I'm a poor administrator. But that's okay. I want it just to be about God anyway. Let him, let him run. Last week, we talked about what it looked like after the Apostle Paul, or his name is still Saul, Paul had, there's no good way to drink him. I talk at the same time. Um, the Apostle Paul, who his name was Saul, he was an ardent hater of Christianity. He hated Christians. He was on his way from Jerusalem up to another country, another city called uh, Damascus, where he was going to try to persecute Christians, put them in jail, bring them back to Jerusalem, put them on trial, and the whole thing. He hated Christians, and on that way to Damascus, the Lord appeared to him in a vision. And Saul was never the same. In fact, he wrote 13 of the 27 books of the New Testament. Later, his name will change to Paul. Paul is at a time, and I'll call him Paul from here on out, Paul is at a time where it's getting hairy in Damascus. It's so hairy that he's been there for about three years, and people are trying to kill him. So what they do is they say, we're going to get you out of this city. And so they, they lower him down in a basket outside one of the city walls, and he makes his way back to Jerusalem, back to where he was originally. Last time he was there, he was still Saul the Persecutor. He was still Saul, you know, it'd be like the IRS at your door kind of a deal. This was not good. And so when he came back, the Christians in Jerusalem said, no way, no way, we're not going to trust this guy. They may have seen some of their relatives or, or loved ones or friends being taken away by Saul. And so they said, no way. Although what happened to him was an authentic change, an authentic conversion. They said, no way, we're not going to trust this Paul guy. And then there's a phrase that is just awesome. In, verse, in chapter 9, verse eh, I got you, 27, 
it says, but Barnabas, but Barnabas took Saul and brought him to the apostles where he told them all about what happened to him and, and, they, and they trusted him. Right there in that, those first two words in verse 27, but Barnabas, he did something about it. He was an encourager. He was a lifter. He decided to get underneath and looked at this young guy, Paul, and said, you could be somebody, somebody that God wants you to be. And my encouragement, if you were here last week, my encouragement was, who are you Barnabasing? Who are you Barnabasing? And yes, that is now a word. Created a new word. Who are you Barnabasing? And I said, I might just ask you. I am asking you. Who are you Barnabasing? Are you getting underneath somebody? Are you, getting, are, are, are you saying, you know what, I just want to bless somebody? Or do you find that throughout the week you just kind of knock down a bunch of people to where they belong? Well, of course that's where they belong. That's not the biblical answer. The biblical thing is to, to get underneath people and to build them up. So I'm going to challenge you again. Who are you Barnabasing? Is it your kids? Is it your spouse? Is it your friends? Is it someone maybe that you don't even like? Who you, who you, interesting thing is I went to, I'm not going to tell you which one, but I wore a political button yesterday. I went to one of the things and I wore one of the, it was either John Kerry or Bush, I'll give you that much, but, and I wore one. And a lot of people who have the opposing buttons on, they sneer at you. It was amazing. I thought I should have wore one on each, you know, and then kind of like, whoa, I was with this guy. But I made it a point to just smile at him, just even though people were kind of sneering at me. We're going to continue on in the book of Acts right now. So if you want to open your Bibles up to Acts chapter 9, we're going to pick it up right after that story of Barnabas and what he did for the Apostle Paul, how all of a sudden after he had lifted up Paul, it was an encouragement to the point where Paul, the rest of his life, and, and most of the rest of the book of Acts is going to be about Paul. We're going to shift here this week because the next few chapters, chapters 9, 10, and 11 are going to be about Peter. And then we're not going to see Peter again until Acts 15, and then we're not going to see Peter anymore at all. So, excuse me, 10, 11, and 12, we're going to see Peter at the end of 9 here too. So we're going to kind of shift back to Peter. Peter still is the leader of the church, and he will still be, but it's going to become about Acts. We're going to see two miracles that Peter is used by God to perform. Two miracles, and it's almost an interesting thing why they even put this in the Bible. It's kind of like, here's Peter, he's up in Samaria, and in chapter 10, we got to get him to Joppa, because that's where something else is going to happen. So we got this section in here where basically, the main point of this section is getting Peter from Samaria to Joppa. That's the whole point. But there's some interesting things that happen along the way, so let's take a look at this. I got five observations I want to make. I'm going to go through these relatively quickly this morning because it's communion Sunday and I want to focus on the table, but five things that are happening here. First thing, Acts starting in verse 32. It says, as Peter traveled about the country, he went to visit the saints in Lydda. Now, uh, just stop right there for a minute. Just, just one verse here. As Peter traveled about the country, went to visit the saints in Lydda. Now, that's interesting. The interesting thing there is that there's saints, that's people who are followers of Christ, in Lydda, which is outside of Jerusalem. Remember we said that after persecution happened in Jerusalem, it spread all over the place. Not pers well, persecution did too, but the Christians spread all over the place. But what's even more interesting is if you look on a map where Lydda is, 
It's actually where we last left Philip. So hang on here. I know you got your scorecard at home. But we last left Philip in, in Acts chapter 8. Philip was down in this region of Samaria. And then it said an angel of the Lord just took him and he appeared somewhere else. You look at Acts 8.39. It says, when they came up out of the water, that's after he had baptized this one guy, Philip now, the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. However, Philip appeared at Astroas, Azotras, I guess, and traveled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. So if this is the Mediterranean Sea, where he got dumped off is down here, and he did all these little cities, and he's up here in Caesarea. Lydda is right there. Huh? Other, other churches have big fancy PowerPoint. I got my hands. But <laughs> there's these cities going up here, and, and one of them is Lydda. So these people were impacted by Philip. Philip doesn't get any press on this at all. He's in the white space there, that there's saints in, in Lydda. But it was Philip's doing. Isn't that cool? Observation number one. Observation number one is... God, God uses little people. He loves using little people. He loves using Philip. Philip was not really anybody. Just a guy. And God uses him. Peter didn't think that he was too big of a shot to associate with people who were of lower position. He could have just hung out in Jerusalem, but he doesn't. He goes out to his little, little place. Peter knew where he came from. Peter was a simple fisherman. Yet, at this time, we're three, four years into this since the ascension of Christ, and he could have thought, you know what? I'm a big shot now. I'm not going to go about traveling and hanging out with people. I'm just going to you know, stay here and write books and be real popular and make seminars and videos and DVDs and that kind of thing. Keep your cards and letters coming, kids. You know? But he doesn't do that. He goes out and he travels. He hangs with the little people. That is huge. That is a huge thing. Do you start to think you're something? God delights in making you know that you're not. And you better hope it happens early because the higher up you go, the harder you fall. Just ask Jim Baker about that. Guy, you're familiar with Jim Baker and he created this whole empire and the whole thing crumpled. The 19, late 1980s. So PTL network guy. And God just took it all away. He was so full of himself. And he's written a book now that talks about how he's completely repented of that. Second thing, second observation. Verse 33, pick it up in verse 33. It says, there, this is Peter now, we're back to Peter. There he found a, found a man named Aeneas, a paralytic who had been bedridden for eight years. Aeneas, Peter said to him, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and tidy up your mat. Immediately Aeneas got up. All those who lived in Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. Now, just real quick there. The, sometimes all doesn't mean all. You know, like all. Not, not every single person. But it means like, like in the South, you know, y'all. That's what it means here. Y'all came and looked and saw this guy. But not like all, all. So, I mean, you know, the way you can dispute an argument if you say every time something happens and then you can, all you got to do is find one counterexample. That, that's, that, don't, don't do that to the Bible. That, that's not the way they wrote then. All did not mean all y'all. It meant just y'all. <clears throat> so I think the South is really good for is that phrase, by the way. The rest of that is just, yeah. Nobody's from the South here, are they? Got enough Wisconsin people over here. I don't have to deal with, oh, man. This is... Security. Uh, <laughs> now, 
observation here. Peter says some amazing things. Here's this big shot. He's a big shot. He's a big shot. I mean, he's got a church of 3,000 plus going in. I mean, big shot, you know? Mm, 3,000, pretty good. Mm. Must have PowerPoint there, and they must have real maps, you know? He's got three church of 3,000 something in Jerusalem, and he leaves, he goes and wanders around the, to see these people, and the first thing he says is, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Do you see that? Jesus Christ heals you. Not, hey, big dog here from big Jerusalem, you know, United Presbyterian Church here comes and heals you. No. Jesus Christ heals you. And then it says at the end of that passage, all those who lived in the area saw him and they turned to the Lord. That is huge. It's a huge observation. The second major observation in this passage is this. The ultimate purpose of healing, and we're looking at two different healings this, this morning that Peter was involved in. The ultimate purpose of healing is to glorify God. Or what that means is, to glorify God basically means to let God show off. Because it's about God, it's not about you. In your worship folder, the number one value in this church, it's right on the back every week, where is it? Right on the back every week, number one value. For God's glory. In all the universe, there's nothing more important than God. God's glory is the radiance of all that He is, and all that He is and is what we have created, what we are, and is what we are created to enjoy. I'll get it up. Therefore, all of our ministries and efforts are about glorifying God, and we will aim to worship God in all that we do, not just in our corporate and worship, wor corporate worship alone, but through the rest of our lives as well. And then the little buzz phrase says, It ain't about us, it's about God. It ain't about us. Be an inner city church for me for a minute. And when I say that, repeat it after me. Huh? It ain't about me, it's about God. It ain't about me, it's about God. Yeah, yeah. Whew, that was lame. But uh, that's the most freeing thought this pastor knows, is that it ain't about me. Because if it's about me, in anything in life, if it's about me, we're in the world of hurt. Those of you who know me well know that if this church is about me, oh, baby, we're in a world of hurt. Third thing. Third observation. Now, I'm going to do a little trick here. And I know about 20 of you or so just came back from the Mark Study Retreat. And so what I'm going to do at the Mark Study Retreat is, Hamlet has a passion for saying, where is that in the text? Right, Cor? I'm sure you heard that a hundred times. Where is that there? Where do you see that? How come? Just forget that you learned that from it for a minute because I'm going to yank something completely out of context here. So... They didn't even think anything of that for a minute. What happens is these two healings that Luke, they might have been more, I don't know, but these two that are recorded are exact parallels of two that Jesus did. They're, they're exact parallels. So I want to look at uh, the parallel accounts. The third observation is from the parallel account of this guy who was, was paralytic. He could not walk. For eight years he was paralyzed. He laid on a mat. I don't know if he begged or what he did. And, and Peter comes up to him and says, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up, take up your mat. Or what does he say? Um, uh, get up and tidy up your mat. Tidy up your mat. Interesting phrase. Anyway, Jesus does something similar. In John chapter 5, it says, Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for a, for, the, for a feast of the Jews. Now there is in Jerusalem near the sheep gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethsaida which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the, blame, the blind, 
bad day with the mouth. Uh, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? What a great question. Do you want to get well? Answer, duh, right? But that's not how the guy answers. The guy answers, sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. There was this legend that if you, when the water got stirred, they thought it was an angel or some supernatural being when they saw bubbles up and if the first one in, they were the one to get healed. That was the legend. It's interesting because Jesus doesn't ask him that. You know, how quick are you getting, you know, what's your, what's your Olympic time you're getting into the pool? He doesn't ask that. He says, do you want to get well? And the guy answers poorly. This is a D-minus answer, all right? This is a bad answer. Then Jesus said to him, get up. Pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured, he picked up his mat and walked. Now, from this, I don't have it recorded, but Peter, uh, Jesus leaves that area. I had read this passage for years upon years. I was part of a Bible study. It was a men's Bible study when we first started the church Two, two, three years we met. We met at the Big Ten for those buffalo wings. Oh, 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 those are good. Uh, and, and, oh, man, but the, you got to take the little ranch dressing thing. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Big Ten buffalo wings? Anybody? Anybody? The, the sour, whatever you call it, ranch dressing, that is your savior because I'm telling you, those, those things are hot. Anyway, there's nothing to do <clears throat> with uh, what we're talking about. I remember sitting there with, with those guys, eating a buffalo wing, coming to this passage, and the thought hit me for the first time that Jesus goes into this area and it's like all these people who are disabled. They're just lying all over the place. He comes in, finds one guy, heals him, and walks out. It had never hit me before. And what about everybody else? I mean, and, and he doesn't even, it, it's not even like he picks this guy because he's the best guy. This guy gives a bad answer. This is a bad answer that he gives. And Jesus heals him. Third observation, and, and I would say it applies to Acts 2, the similar thing is healing or not being healed is at the absolute discretion of an almighty God. We've had healings in this church. I mean, documented healings. We've had people, one person in particular had cancer and it was gone. They went to surgery, and the surgery was supposed to last 45 minutes. It was three hours into it, and three or four hours into it, and they came back and said to the mom, who's now freaking out because this 45-minute procedure is supposed to only last 45 minutes, I guess. And um, <laughs> it's three or four hours into it, and they said, we have a problem. And you can just see the mom's heart sink. She says, we can't find a cancer. Healing happens. Healing doesn't happen. And I don't, I, don't, it, I don't exactly know why. I know that God is able to heal. And I believe that with all my heart. But I also give him the freedom to be God. And if you're here this morning and you're struggling with some physical or emotional thing that you want healing from and you want it to happen now, God may, God may do that. But he may not. There's a, a Norwegian uh, theologian by the name of Ole Halsbury. And somebody asked him that he was a sick guy, and they asked him that question, do you want to get well? And Ole's answer was this. He says, well, 
That depends on what most glorifies God. And then he wrote down this prayer. He said, Lord, if it be to your glory, heal suddenly. If it will glorify you more, heal gradually. If it will glorify you even more, may, may your servant remain sick a while. And if it will glorify your name still more, take me to yourself in heaven. See, for Oli, and I'm praying that for my own life and your life, that it ain't about me. It ain't about me. It's about God. And God, if you get more press, then just let me be toast. That's the biblical answer. Fourth observation. Verse 36. We're back in chapter 9 here of, of Acts. In Joppa, that's another city, in Joppa there was a disciple named Tabitha, which when translated is Dorcas. I love when they do that in the Bible. They, they say, well, translated, it means Dorcas. Well, that's in Greek, okay? That doesn't help. It means gazelle, all right? So that maybe is like, if you have a little footnote in your Bible there, it'll say gazelle. So that's like really translated to, you know, what they should have been speaking then English. <clears throat> Tabitha, who was always doing good and helping the poor. About that time, she became sick and died, and her body was washed and placed in an upstairs room. Lydda was near Joppa, 10 miles. So when the disciples heard that Peter was in Lydda, they sent two men to him and urged, urged him, please come at once. Now, just think about this for a minute. Peter has left Jerusalem He's just, he's going to travel around, visit, he said, visit the saints. And he goes to Lydda and he's got this gig going. He's got this healing ministry happening. And, and it's all these people from the area, uh, from Sharon and Lydda are coming in there. Whoa, look at the guy. That guy used to be laying on a mat. Now he's standing up doing the hokey pokey. And this is amazing. Peter's got this gig going and yet he does not delay. When people come, he says, I'll go. Peter went with them, verse 39. And when he arrived... He was taken upstairs to the room. All the widows stood around him crying and showing him the robes and other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was still with them. I don't want to make too much of this, but they're there. They've sent for Peter to do something about this death. And the widows are there crying and mourning. Uh, we'll get back to that in just a minute. Verse 40. Peter sent them all out of the room. Then he got down on his knees and prayed. Turning toward the dead woman, he said, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes, and seeing Peter, she sat up. He took her by the hand and helped her to her feet. Then he called the believers and the widows and presented her to them alive. This became known all over Joppa, and many people believed in the Lord. Peter stayed in Joppa for some time with a, with a tanner named Simon. Now, that's going to be important in our, next, in our next section when we look what happens with Peter. The observation here is Peter was available. Peter was, you know, oftentimes we think about people in, in you know, biblical times like, oh, they weren't busy. I mean, they had nothing going on. Obviously, they had to wait till the next verse happens to know what they were supposed to do, right? <laughs> no, you know, they live their lives like we live our lives. And verse 38 happens, and Peter goes. Verse 39, he goes. There's an old acronym we used to use it when I was involved in the navigator ministry. It's called FAT. 
Are you faithful, available, and teachable? But the number one is the A. Are you even at the game? Are you even showing up? Are you available? Are you willing, you at a point in your life where you're opening your heart up and saying, God, wherever you have for me, I'll do it. Because if you're not, you're going to be stuck in verse 38. You're never going to get to verse 39. Last thing. We're going to look at the parallel account. The parallel account, it's, it's, it's striking how incredibly, this one's name is Tabitha. When Jesus has a little girl that he raises from the dead, he calls her Talitha, which means little girl. It's striking how close it is. Let's look at the account, what happens. The parallel account to what happened when, and Peter was there, he saw this. So it would have been something in his mind. For Matthew chapter 9, we're going to do 18 and 19. There's actually another little account involving another woman. So we're going to skip that just for right now and then, and then look at verses 23 to 26. Matthew 9, this is what's happening when Jesus was still doing his ministry on earth. It says, while he was saying this, Jesus is speaking, uh, a ruler came and knelt before him and said, my daughter has just died, but come and put your hand on her and she will live. Amazing faith this guy had. Jesus got up and went with him and so did his disciples. <clears throat> Skip to verse 23 then. When Jesus entered the ruler's house and saw the flute pit players and noisy crowd, uh, it's, it's not in our culture here, but when someone died, they would actually hire mourners. I know, it sounds kind of morbid, but they'd hire mourners and they would be professional people who'd be outside, they'd be playing instruments, in this case flute, and they'd also be mourning, which... You're going to, otherwise this, the rest of this makes no sense unless you understand these are kind of professional mourners. It says, after the, uh, 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 Jesus said to him, or Jesus said to the crowd, go away. The girl is not dead but asleep. But they laughed at him. You're thinking, how do you laugh? But they're professional mourners. <laughs> you know, they can do that because they're, you know, whatever. They're just being paid to do this. It's not a big deal. Now this is the big deal. It says, after the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took the girl by the hand and she got up. News of this spread through all that region. If you look at the account in Mark, it says that the ones that got to go inside were the mother and father, the ones who had faith in Jesus, and the disciples. The rest got put outside. Now, I can make the case stronger from the parallel account than I can from the one where Peter puts them all outside because they were mourning and not trusting that something amazing was going to happen. But for sure, from this account from Matthew, and it's, report, it's also in Luke and in Mark, fifth observation is not everybody gets to see the healing. You get to see the result, but not everybody gets to see it. Sometimes you can take yourself out of seeing God do something amazing because you don't trust Him to do something amazing. These people were put outside because they didn't trust that God could do something amazing. So let me close this morning by asking you, is your God amazing? Is your God amazing? Or do you worship a God that you've got neatly put into nice little theological categories, fits into your box, and every time you need him, just kind of open up the box, that's the piece I need now? Is your God amazing? Can he do things? Do you think of when someone dies for saying, Lord, do you want them to live? Maybe I should go lay hands on them and ask them 
And I know people are going to say, you are nuts. And I'll just be honest. I've never seen anyone, nor have I prayed for anyone who's come back to life. That would be kind of wild. But it's not that God can't do it. Do you have uh, something going on in your own body or someone you know who they need healing and your only recourse is physicians? I have nothing against physicians. I love physicians. Well, not really. I hate going to doctors. But they're a good thing to have. Sorry, Suresh and Lavanya. Uh, you're good people. And they're good things. But do, is, your, is your first recourse, I've got this, I need a pill, or I've got cancer, I need chemo. I'm not saying anything against that. Get chemo. It's a good thing. Do you believe that God could actually just take it away? Could he do that? I mean, not saying that he will. I can't promise you that. But do you believe that your God is amazing enough that he could? I hope you worship that kind of God. I want to worship that kind of God. I want to live that kind of life where I'm walking through life with that kind of God over my shoulder all the time and knowing that he can do anything amazing. Let's pray together. God, you are amazing. Lord, we could, we could sit here and worship you for eternity and it would not be enough. It wouldn't even be a drop in the bucket of what you're worth. So Lord God, would you stir in us, not that Peter was awesome, but that you are awesome. You're awesome enough even to work through someone like Peter. You're awesome enough to work with someone like us. So we ask God that you would, not because we deserve it. We don't. We ask, God, that you'd move even in our midst now, especially as we move to a time of communion. There'll be people asking for prayer requests, and we ask that you'd move, God, not so that we can say, wow, prayer and hope community gets answered. No, but that we can say, God is awesome. God is amazing. God loves to answer prayer. Would you move like that, God, for your glory, not for ours, for your glory and for our joy, that we could just be tickled pink watching you move. Lord, in this room are people today who need an amazing God. They cannot settle for just ideas. They need something more than that. They need the power of God. And I pray for that, Lord, that you'd show them that. You'd be so real and so personal to everyone in this room. Not that fancy talks or, or music or anything else we'll take care of. But just to move by your spirit, we ask that you do that, Lord. Touch where there needs to be touching. Heal where there needs to be healing. Do that, God. Keep working in our midst, we ask. You are amazing. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.